Uh, so we're back. It's been a bit, it's been a while since we did one of these. Um, I mean, it probably if you've been list if you've been binging this and you just happen to come across this episode, then it's probably not been a while for you. But if you're one of our consistent listeners who's been listening to us week on week, yeah. then yeah, then there's been a bit of a break. I mean, down the line when we blow up and people come back to listen to the episode, binge the episodes for them. This is nothing. This is not yeah. a blip. <laughs> Hopes, <laughs> yes, hopes everywhere around. Uh, but anyway, welcome back to a brand new episode of Two Please. I'm your host Abin, and I'm your co-host Rohit. Uh, and also, speaking of blowing up, uh-huh. uh, you might hear a few sounds in the background. That's because we're recording this episode uh, bang in the middle of Diwali. Yes, that's how vibrant and full our social lives are. <laughs> I mean, uh, Diwali's been a bit of a, a strange experience for me this time around because I've been very unwell. If you can't hear <laughs> it through uh, through my voice. And Rohit has had a lot of family commitments, so it's been ve- it's been a very contrasting Diwali <laughs> experience for both of us. But speaking of things blowing up, House of the Dragon concluded its final episode of its of its brand new season this Sunday, Monday for us in the yes. subcontinent. And I thought it would make sense for us to have a discussion. Actually, let's address address that bit itself. Right? It wasn't yeah. even Monday for us. I mean, for us, it was I think what Saturday morning. It was a Monday for us. <laughs> 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 but yes, so the thing is that House of the Dragon leaked uh, on Friday night, I think, and on Saturday morning, um, it was out everywhere, and people had jumped onto it. And some of us may or may not have watched the episode. Two yeah, days before, I can, it was I can neither to, confirm nor deny. Nor deny exactly right. So, but anyway, that that aside, that was just a minor inconvenience. I believe the season finale broke HBO records. I wouldn't say it broke records of season eight. I'm not quite sure. You don't quote me on that. Yeah, I mean, I would be surprised, but I don't know. Maybe maybe season eight did have. Yeah, I don't know. But hate then, watchers. Yeah, <laughs> possibly. I, I don't think people hate watching season eight until about halfway through. I mean, fair enough. But uh, regardless, coming back to haughty as as people want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, aptly also can be uh, expanded to hot demon. But we'll get to that <laughs> yeah, in a bit. In, a uh, in its own right, is um, I would say a good to great show somewhere in between. Somewhere in between, I think. Yeah. Is, is an apt description of what ended up uh yeah and i would say as a as a first season i would i would say it's a very good first step like first foot forward uh, especially given the fact that the source material in this case uh is not as expansive as as the song of ice and fire definitely where there is uh, i think an embarrassment of riches and you have to sort of uh pick characters that you want to focus on pick storylines that you want to focus on otherwise there's a I would say an abundance of. I mean, there are characters names you don't even remember. Oh, for sure. So, but in this case, uh, there isn't much to go off of. Uh, but I would say, despite the scant source material available, uh, the makers have done a good job. But before we really dive into the the uh, the meat, the meat of the yeah. matter. Yes. Let's start let's the show. Start, start the show. I am big. It's the picture that got small. the dragon now before we jump into the the whole plot details and what the show is really about i think the show what i want to commend for it before we jump into some of our criticisms of it is i i really want to commend the showrunners uh, because i believe there are two there were two showrunners one of them left he will not be involved in season 2 ryan conrell and miguel sapochnik mm. who is miguel sapochnik is a game of thrones veteran has directed several of the best episodes. episodes of game of thrones the more i'd say set pc kind of episodes yeah. of game of thrones uh what they have done is they have managed to turn around the sentiment surrounding the world of westeros yes which if you like rewind back to the year 2019 some would have considered to be irreparably damaged because when season 8 of game of thrones came out it, there was a lot of anticipation there were a lot of yeah. theories about what 
uh, the show would ultimately end up wrapping with and to be and to say that thing that people were let down would be an understatement it was poop <laughs> yes it was yeah it was not <laughs> we we have we spoken about this extensively yeah. on our game of thrones episode which you can go check out if you haven't already but there was a lot of disdain and just a lot of general disinterest and talk about falling off a cliff right exactly right. the legacy that the show could have had was sard to a great degree because of, i would say 8 and to an extent season 7 as well and uh, like rewatch value down in the dumps nobody's i mean when you watch even when i watch random episodes from season 3 season 4 i just feel sad like i think there's a lot of there's a lot of resentment and and anger even on yes, certain yeah. parts because after we did our game of thrones episode i was rewatching all seasons and i remember watching season 2 especially during the sequence where the ride of king's landing happens when joffrey and is walking through king's landing and somebody throws a cow pie at him yeah. and um, and tyrion is trying to tell him what's happening is furious and there's a wonderful line in there about vicious kings and idiot kings but never thought they would have ever be cursed with a vicious idiot for a king <laughs> and i was just sitting there going wow this show is such good writing and to see what it eventually became is quite disheartening so but this, these guys had to start with that and i would say they've done a great job turning it around i think what really helped was that george r r martin got a little more intimately involved with this show yeah and what really helps with this show more than anything else is the fact that there is a set history yeah like there are events, you know how it's going to you end. know there's i mean there is a there's a start point and there is an end point yeah and there are a bunch of things that are that happen in the middle not all of them are historically are going to be completely accurate because fire and blood the the, the book that this is based on is told from the perspective of masters and um and uh, mushroom i think mushroom, yeah. and they're all like the whole concept of mushroom them, is a, is a, a dwarf guys i mean yeah. not, not masters on shrooms <laughs> but, but basically all of them are for various reasons and to varying degrees semi unreliable narrators narrative. they all have their own biases seep into their version of events okay. which is a nice i like the the spin to the style of narrative that george r r martin has brought i don't think that has they they're taking that ambiguity they're not translating them at that ambiguity on screen mm-hmm. but what it does is because that source material has the ambiguity these guys while they are adapted it while it is an adaptation there is sufficient room for um putting their own spin of things because now what they will put on screen is for most people because not many are going to read the books the mm-hmm. definitive version of events oh, exactly so, so now they're going to set and the fact it's good that george r r martin is part of the process of setting the narrative what is the final mm-hmm. uh what is the truth uh, so to speak yeah and so what the series tackles is possibly one of my favorite um parts of the targaryen history mm-hmm. which is basically it it involves the dance of dragons which is a particularly um pivotal point in the targaryen history where the targaryens basically pissed away their legacy over yeah. Uh, a succession dispute so for those of you who don't know i will we will spoil parts of the of the book but very minimal parts so what i will tell you is that and this is a spoiler you can skip ahead by 15 seconds if you want to that at the start of the dance of dragons at the, at the dance of dragons there were 17 dragons in westeros and at the end there were two yeah and that's all i will say because a lot has happened um during this this period in time among amongst the targaryens and it ta- it tackles a lot of the patriarchal issues that were involved in western history and which kind of what game of thrones is based on right so it all begins with king jairus who's considered to be one of the wisest uh, kings of the targaryen dynasty and his oldest granddaughter rhaenys is in line to be uh, queen of westeros but because a, a lady cannot sit the iron throne they have preposterous <laughs> they have um, um they have a, a, a weird ceremony where they end up choosing it's like a council of like 
it's proto democracy everyone cast a vote yeah. all the houses of the realm will cast a vote for mm-hmm. who they think should be the next ruler and ultimately Viserys comes on top yeah. a man famously at, who didn't want the throne yeah but then is ends up ruling a very peaceful time during the Targaryen uh, rule and then what ultimately ends up happening is he is unable to produce a son and he has his, his daughter Rhaenyra is in line for the throne and the season kicks off just when um, Viserys's wife Emma is is in labor yeah and he hosts a tournament to welcome what he thinks is his son and then things go awry real quickly when his uh, his wife dies on on the childbirth on the, during yeah. childbirth thanks to decision he takes yeah so a lot not a lot of it is, is spoken about in the books but because uh, a decision that he makes choosing to perform a C-section. <laughs> and I think a series of events that weighs on him for the rest of his life. Exactly. And that guilt is what really motivates a lot of his actions towards Rhaenyra. Exactly. Again, these are facets of the character which are not present in the source material at all. I think, uh, obviously, with George R. R. Martin's help, they've really fleshed out the character and uh, a guy like Paddy Considine was brought in and I think he just elevated what was written on paper to another level on screen. So, I don't think anyone really particularly cares about Viserys during Fire of Blood or Dance, mm-hmm. of, Dance of Dragons. So, to make him this sympathetic character, this character that you end up really gravitating towards, like hats off to Paddy Considine. Yeah. It's just, um, I remember I, I read this article about when George R. R. Martin saw the eighth episode and he wrote to him saying, your Viserys is better than my Viserys, which is the highest compliment yeah. that one could give uh, any actor. Fatty Considine really eats into that role. He he becomes, he embodies, and I've, like, I know Paddy Considine through Hot Fuzz. Exactly. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I know him primarily through comedic roles, Hot Fuzz. I'm, I can't recall a couple more, but I've only seen him in comedic roles and for him to I mean for me to see the sort of dramatic chops he has yeah it was a pleasant surprise so for me so what ultimately ends up happening during the course of the season is that you're introduced to a set of the houses that will really come into mm. play when the Dance of Dragons eventually kicks off so so yes his wife has died he has a daughter Renira. yes and uh, now that he is uh, a widower mm-hmm. uh, without a male heir uh, there's a lot of pressure from his, uh, hand. his hand, played by Reese Vance, who plays the character of Otto Hightower. And the reason Reese Vance or Otto Hightower wants him to marry and try and produce uh, an heir, or basically have somebody else as an heir, anybody other than the current heir, which is Damon Targaryen, mm-hmm. uh, because Damon Targaryen is a classic younger sibling, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> problem child. <laughs> And uh, I think him and Otto Hightower don't get along. And Otto Hightower is like, this guy is not good for the realm. So you need to... And at this stage, uh, Renira is not even a viable option. Because again, woman doesn't even compute. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think it's Viserys who then is like, hey, if not Damon, and if I can't have a a male heir, then Renira is the only other viable option. And that's something the realm has to kind of Mm, get with. Yeah. Uh, so that's how Rhaenyra gets named uh, the heir I think that's the f- end of episode 1 yeah right? so uh, you have again while this ploy has already played out once with Princess Rhaenys mm-hmm. uh, being uh, heir apparent which didn't work out Viserys decides to ignore that although that's literally happened in his that's the reason he's king mm-hmm. he decides to do away with that convention once again and says Rhaenyra is going to be my heir which has the intended effect of uh, pissing Damon off um, and obviously it is also triggered by the fact that when Viserys' newborn son dies mm-hmm. on the same day as his uh, wife, as his wife uh, Damon is found in a brothel saying uh, making toasts to king for a day exactly. uh, which I think tips uh, Viserys off the edge and decide, he decides to make Rhaenyra his heir and disinherit uh, Damon mm-hmm. So that happens and uh, then I think at this stage Otto Hightower sort of realizes there is an opportunity here to be exploited mm-hmm. which is where enter Alison Hightower, his daughter. Yeah. So what Otto does is he decides to push his daughter to marry the king. Um, they're trying to get the king to marry another of the 
Valerian families in yeah. the Valerians. Ah. So there are three big uh, Valerian families that make it to Westeros, the Targaryens, and what are they called? Celtigars. The, yeah, Celtigars, the Celtigars. I don't know. One of, however you pronounce but those the Celtigars who are like not really in this show, yeah. but they're trying to get the king to marry uh, the Valerians because... I mean, the, mm. the, the lot of the house is there in episode 10. That's yeah. So, Collis Valerian is married to Rhaenys Targaryen, so that's the whole... Um, and Collis really wants to buy wife for the throne he's yeah. very ambitious uh, but that doesn't work out Otto eventually gets his way and Alison also credit to uh, Viserys here he decides not to marry Collis's daughter because she's, she's like way too young she's so. 12 years old yeah I mean not that Alison Hightower is a lot older mm-hmm. but at least she's an adult in that universe. Yeah, in that universe at least. So he ends up marrying Alicent and they and they produce a male heir. Yeah. And thus begins um, a conflict between um, Alicent and Renera who are actually very good friends. Yes, which is uh, another one of those uh, deviations from the source material which really adds amazing depth to the adaptation. Mm-hmm. Because I think in the, in the show, while Alicent is still much younger than Viserys, she's not comparable in age to Rhaenyra and mm-hmm. therefore they're not really friends in fact they don't like each other from, from, the, on, uh, from the onset but here to have made them friends in fact not just friends there were talks of them uh, there were, I mean there were vibes mm-hmm. between them of it being little, more than, little more than friends so the fact that they've added that layer to their history only makes what is to come or what has transpired since all that more tragic what this show really does well is that and, and basically the Dance of Dragons is very clear or rather the spirit is very clear about who the good guys were yes. who the bad guys were it's very black and white it's very black and white so like okay these are so and so have done things so and so have done other things which is a very straightforward way of telling the story and surprisingly un like yeah funnily enough because I think um, with regards to like Song of Ice and Fire, great characters are all all across that yeah. um, that storyline. And yeah, um, and George R. Martin has actually gone on to say that when he's writing his characters, it's almost like doing a bit of gardening, right? He likes to let them grow and like, he likes to see where they end up going. So very, like you mentioned, very unlike him. But what the show does really well is it kind of harkens back to his characters in the exactly. Game of Thrones where there is the, their motivations may may be good but their execution may require them to do things that aren't particularly um, honorable and it's not just that a character's motivations can be justifiable to them I mean not just to them even you as an audience at least for the first few episodes you could easily have been on in either camp. Of course, yeah. I think you you kind of understand Alison's struggles trying to be married to a man nearly like twice her age. Yeah. Um, Who has some sort of leprosy? Yeah, he kind of cuts himself on the throne, and then it, that just disease progresses just, into some sort of skin eating disease, disease. He has. Yeah. So it's not. Despite that, like she has to share the marital bed with him, and it's all. It's very. So you do sympathize with Alicent as well and you, you realize there is a price that she has paid to be in the position. It's, it's not like, you know, being queen is all bells and whistles. And it's like, and it, and it until I'd say more recently, it was how, what women had to face, right? They just yeah. were told who to marry and share beds with with men that they have no relationship. Many parts of India, it still yeah, exactly. is. Yeah, it's still very prevalent. So, um, so there's, there's that part and then you have... Um, his Viserys' daughter who's desperately trying to fight an age-old um, tradition. I think the, yeah. the only two queens, rather three queens that had power before her were, uh, were Aegon's sister wives mm. and Queen Alicent. Alicent. Alicent, yeah. Jairus' yeah, wife. So, so she's trying to like topple... Um, and also even at this stage, at least young Renera is not somebody who likes to conform to traditional societal gender, gender roles. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not to get too much into specifics, but there's the whole episode which features a hunt where uh, she ends up uh, killing something a lot more substantial. And mm-hmm. I mean, her experience of the hunt is a lot closer to what 
it should be as opposed to uh, what Messier has done, which is actually closer to a historical medieval hunt where mm-hmm. a king would only come and you know sort of give you give the animal the uh, the coup de gras or the mm-hmm. final blow mm-hmm. because all of his men would do the work. So it was a I mean it was a hunt only in in name. Mm-hmm. But Anira is this badass character who who is who can go toe to toe with uh, I mean just because she's a woman she's no weaker or yeah. uh, no less capable. So. She's that sort of woman and she also grates against her responsi- the responsibility that is tr- thrust upon her to find a, a, a husband and she's like, why does why do I need that to define me? I am my own person. So again, very nice complex character. Uh, first few episodes, her interaction with Viserys is also, uh, I think a lot of uh, fathers would sympathize mm-hmm. with daughters who are opinionated who are I mean I, I have no idea I don't know what I'm talking out of my ass for but seems like the kind of dynamic that fathers would have with the headstrong daughters yeah so it's the first few episodes are I wouldn't say perfect mm-hmm. but they're definitely very strong in terms of setting up these characters because what this show does what it, it employs the use of time jumps yeah um, the first five episodes of this season involve a younger actress playing Renera and then it jumps twice. Yeah. Um, but I think only a few actors get replaced about two episodes after the first time jump. And most of them, um, uh, the two lead, the two female leads get replaced uh, and not not much else. I and think. the kids. And the kids to a certain degree. Because the kids are shown to be very young when they begin. Yeah. Um, Renera at this time uh, around the fifth episode or so is to be married to Collis Valarian's son Lenor and all this while she has this relationship with her uncle Damon yeah and I don't know what it is about Matt Smith but who has taken to playing fucked up royal uh, (laughs) characters to to a T and in that first episode as you may call it a wonky start it's not doesn't fly by but by far the best thing about that episode is Matt Smith. Yeah. He's introduced as Damon Targaryen, considered to be the most dangerous man in Westeros. This... And you uh, buy it. Yeah, and you buy it, right? Like you... Uh, and the journey that his character goes on and rather will go on because yeah. Damon is a very... He is, the, he is the Targaryenist Targaryen that existed. <laughs> yeah. He, like he's he's too much of a, um, a hothead yeah. for... Uh, for his own good. For his own good. And he's very, very emotional and flies off the handle at, at the smallest thing. And that dangerous side of him really appeals to Renera. And yeah. you can see that there's some tension between the two for the first um, few episodes. And yeah. then something eventually, like when he takes her down to, I think, Flea Bottom, the brothel yes. of Flea Bottom. And they have a moment and then he walks away because he's... Which for me, I think was a classic manipulation tactic. But yeah, but that was very uncomfortable. See, I'm like, oh. mm-hmm. they, I mean, they both they were good looking, but they're like super related. To mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, the Targaryen family tree is more like a wine. And I feel like, uh, <laughs> and there are like four names which they just keep spinning: right? Lenor, Lena, Balon, Balor. This, mm-hmm. that. I'm like, bro, Rhaenyra, Rhaenys. Fine, mm-hmm. another other names. Egon. There are like fourteen Egons <laughs> in the show. There's a wonderful uh, comment under Damon Aemond. <laughs> uh, yeah, very, very original, George Arpan. <laughs> the wonderful comment under a YouTube channel I follow called All Shift X, yeah. who does Game of Thrones and uh, basically George R. R. Martin breakdowns. And the wonderful, and then he pinned this comment where this guy said, Stop nimming your kids, Aegon. Seriously. Mm. That, that's the root of the problem, yeah. So there's, I mean, Aegon the Conqueror stories is a lot more straightforward, but, I feel, but I've been listening, to, after you read Fire and Blood, that's also very, a very interesting part of mm-hmm. uh, the Westeros history. But that's anyway besides the point. Um, ultimately, Rhaenyra is married to Lena, Lena Valerian in a very bloody wedding, yes. as Westerosi weddings should art up at this point anyway. Uh, Lena is, is gay. Yes. And his father thinks it's a condition that he will grow out of. Uh, uh, period accurate, still uncomfortable. <laughs> still, still very un- uncomfortable. And uh, Renera, after being spurned by her uncle, uh, takes... Renera, who turns out to be an ally. So yeah. she's like, yeah, you do what you, you want, do I'll do what I want. It's a political marriage completely. Yeah. We, we're both aware of it. We're so both aware of it. Like, you, you do you and I'll, and I'll, I'll do me. And so yeah. she... Um, 
her king's guard, Kristen Cole, is who she kind of takes into her chambers, and Kristen gets really infatuated, and then she's yeah. like, "No, I can't, I can't go away. Go, he wants to run yeah, away with her." She, yeah, she's, she's like, like "No, oh, man, we're fucking oranges and essos. You think I wouldn't give up the iron throne? You're an idiot." Yeah, and that really sends uh, Kristen Cole down the warp path, and ultimately towards the greens, or like towards towards the high towers. Yeah. So a very insane wedding takes place where he ends up beating up. Uh, killing Lena Valerian's lover Joffrey, yeah. uh, and and then there's a horrifying visual of them getting married and Joffrey's brain bits on the floor with rats feasting on them. Yeah, uh, and I remember watching the episode and thinking to myself, "Wow, okay, this is this is insane." That was a proper GOT of old moment. Because a lot happens in the build up to that wedding, right? Because um, Alicent is is very religious. She's very much a part of the she believes in in, in, in the order of the faith mm. and that's what it's called right order of the seven faiths or some order of the faith of the yeah. seven of yeah, yeah she, <laughs> she's she's a big believer in the faith of the seven yeah and so rumors start to circulate that um, Damon and Renera were spotted in a brothel and then she just starts to like lose her shit about it and, and then Kristen Cole also tells her, no, it was with me. She's, <laughs> then Alison is like, what is this woman up to? Here I have to sleep with Mr. Leprosy and this lady is getting all about town. Yeah, and then the show introduces Larry Strong, who is um, this... Budget little finger. Budget little finger. The sneaky old bugger who seems to have a thing for feet, yeah. which we discover a few episodes on. But he decides to become uh, Queen Alison's advisor. Yeah. And... Fast forward a couple of years, Renere has had about um, three kids, and they all turn out to look uh, they look like um, Lord Strong. Yes. Uh, as because I mean, Lena between her and Lena, he's black, she's white. They both mm-hmm. have white hair. The yeah. kids have they're not black. They don't have white hair. So yeah. it's, it's a super clear. Although Viserys begs to disagree because of some equine genetics. <laughs> Yeah. He apparently had some horse as a kid and he, he basically you can see this is Viserys' coping mechanism because he is in denial about what yeah, everyone he, else in the kingdom knows. Exactly. And he refuses to believe it. He be- he believes that Renera sh- should, what, irrespective of the consequence, um, should be um, ruler to the Iron Throne because of a prophecy that his father told him. Yes. So this was not involved in the books. This, this is... is uh, Proper red trying to retcon the end of uh, I think season eight yes. the end they're trying to I don't know kind of bring that prophecy spin and trying to bring some more significance to the dagger I don't know how this plays into snow or any of the other sequels that they're planning but they're trying to sort of mollify the shit that happened with season eight and I don't like it neither do I, I every time I see the cat spot dagger I get yeah, I'm saying it's a distraction from what you already have which is great I get like I'm like okay I, I love this world I, I'm in this world to have you're pulling me out of it yeah like stop reminding me of <laughs> of Arya Stark's winter I'm trying to forget so hard yeah and like and you keep pulling out this goddamn dagger every every two episodes yeah and, and even if it was some other weapon like if you say Ned Stark's sword I don't have an irritation attached to it. That fucking dagger, <laughs> yeah. which you used to quote subvert expectations. No, God of no. all things, you have to bring that back. Yeah, we could have really done with that. We could have done without the whole prophecy, but even yeah. it really ends up playing a part which I was not. I mean, at the time, I wasn't a fan of, but I kind of uh, again the fact that the prophecy talks about an Egon who will uh, lead the. Post order, the kingdoms of Westeros against a, a bigger enemy is an addition, I think. I don't know if it's there. It's not, no, it's not it's the origin. It's one of those ploys they do to again sort of humanize or rationalize decisions that Team Green takes. Although, I mean, for me, that's half an excuse because if somebody has for 20 years been saying Renira is my heir and on his deathbed, he tells his wife some... He's, he's, he's like on opium he's, because, yeah. he's his brain is addled and he's saying some random shit about Egon and you want to take that as the basis of your belief that your son has to be mm-hmm. uh, king instead of Renira you're just looking for an excuse so for me what like, what the show does is in, in a bit to make characters more grey and obviously so it introduces certain elements that 
wouldn't be out of place in a slapstick comedy like yeah somewhere a bit too contrived yeah exactly like there are points where i was like okay is this a western or she show or is this a priya darshan movie <laughs> <laughs> because there are too many situations are based out of accidents and that's that's a, that's the gripe i have i mean uh, similar to what was most of episode 9 i mean mm-hmm. everyone is going around searching for egon nick morris Yeah, it's basically like I got paid. What a waste of time. You could have done so much with that screen time. The whole council meeting that happens when Viserys dies and mm. the Green Council makes the play for the throne and mm. there are people who are still black loyalists on that council. Yeah. And there's a lot of deliberation that happens. It's it's almost like 12 angry men, right? Yeah, that that entire sequence goes on for a night. So what yeah. like the, there is a night where they sit and deliberate and then uh, the master of coin and save for one which is Lyman Beesbury everyone finally is like hey we get it like get yeah. it. we have to do this or clearly there is the green faction calling all the shots right now. So if nothing for our own lives we have to alive with them it's only beesbury who decides no loyalty first and pays the price for it here it was like a two minute scene all in sacrifice for what like two and i don't get the whole idea of alison and otto sending two teams it was just unnecessary contrivance which i don't know the waste of screen time i i felt they could have done better with episode i nine. feel with episode 9 um it serves to prove something or other it, it will come back in the next season the arik and arik bit not even the arik and arik bit i think uh, it's again stupid who names your twin sons arik and arik put some effort and you have ram you have ram shams you have like other people like so you can't really like <laughs> um dispute them for it but what i believe that episode serves to show is it serves to show that agon very clearly doesn't want to be king mm. I think for major parts. Yeah, I think that that is a point they did hammer home quite well. Yeah, they they Egon doesn't want to be king and from the very start. Like I think if you've seen Egon who's basically wanking off into yeah um, um into the scenery of King's Landing, uh, sleeping with every housemaid that he can possibly find, and very clearly that if you even as children you know that Aemond. So the three children of um of Alicent Aemond. um helena helena and and egon and egon sorry yeah egon uh, is the least carefree is the most carefree of, yeah. of all aemon is seems to be very bound by duty uh and yeah, helena is really a very serious kid mm, helena has these weird moments where she's she's quite yeah, clearly a seer yeah. yeah she's quite clearly a seer because she keeps um talking about certain moments and as well as as for Renera's kids uh, they they both taught like all both sets of children are taught to hate the other like from the very start again this is something that's a lot more pronounced in the books that the two sets of kids hate each other hmm. in the show at least initially when you know the whole pink dread the whole pig thing happens i think everyone doesn't like aemond but between them like egon is quite friendly with jesseris uh, and stuff so again even within the kids even the next generation they don't make it as clear or demarcated there's a lot of intermingling that happens which again makes subsequent events a little more tragic yeah i think so what though that those that relation does deteriorate over the years you see that deterioration yeah it's like so but you see it with kristen cole and 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 harold strong when uh, they're training them and yes. then like kristen cole keeps trying to like instigate um that guy is just sour puss like Yeah, I, I don't I, see. Fabian Frankel is a great-looking dude, but the fact to keep him at the same age while age everybody else is yeah, kind of is, is a strange choice. Because Cole is a vampire. Yeah, because Cole. That's the only explanation at this point. Yeah, and but so the, you can tell that the the kids ultimately are just they're, they're friends, right? They grow up in the castle together, but they are so. push towards hating each other because yeah, they're pitched they're, against each other so you don't have a, i mean natural progression you're going to start disliking even though you don't really have a rational reason for exactly you said told to and through this time damon and um um and his wife lena valarin damon is married to yeah. lena valarin after he, they he wins the battle at the steps zones where he ends up defeating the crab king there's a lot that happens in this season obviously yeah. because of the time jumps and there's so much so many years of build up that they want to cover i mean now that you as you go through it there's so much that happens yeah, of course i think the, the initial episodes deal with the yeah. conflict in steps zones right so uh, damon ultimately ends up leading them through 
and you can see Damon soften or rather like mature as the as the years go. Yeah, I think family softens him up. Softens him up. He kind of he comes back. His his Frank. I think as soon as he marries Lena, his brother and Viserys is and him have been always going at loggerheads. But the moment he marries Lena, I think he they end up moving to Pentos to Pentos, and they have two children. And during the third, the birth of uh, his third child. Um, it becomes very apparent that the child won't make it, and neither will his wife. Which is again, I mean, a point to be made here is childbirth is a recurring theme in the show. It is a recurring theme, not just to, not just for characters to contend with, as in the characters lose their life to childbirth, but you know they don't lose their life. It's a, it's it's always shown as tense, and like you know things could always go south. Uh, and it is shown in all its glory. Is the wrong? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like at any point, I mean, medicine has come a long way since. Yeah. But if Rohit and I choose, like in our futures, to like go down the path where we, yeah, like, yeah. no better contraceptive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to subject my wife or whoever you if you do end up having a child I wouldn't want to subject that person to what this looks like yeah exactly right. it's just it's just painful and even like friends who delivered recently and, and the hours of labor that they're in childbirth is is a, is a bad a nightmare thing. yeah it's it's kind of insane and the show decides to show a lot of it so they, I'm a, like besides his wife kind of says that uh, a woman's um, battlefield is the birthing bed yeah something along those lines and it keeps playing a recurring theme about and that is by no means hyperbole oh goodness they, they make sure it's not yeah so uh, Lena Valarin is kind of um, on her way out and by this time she has already claimed Vegar, yeah. who is Damon's father's dragon and Vegar is mm-hmm. yeah Balon Targaryen's dragon oh yeah, yeah correct yeah so Balon Targaryen's dragon Balon dies and Vega remains unclaimed Le- Lena has when she's talking to Viserys, she asks him where Vegar as a kid, and as then a, it's lovely to see it play out that down the line she ends up. Yeah, but Vegar has been in the dragon pit in the books, but like the, they introduce the whole thing that he's somewhere that she's mm. somewhere in the stepstones because she's too big. Yeah, and Vegar is one of the three dragons that Aegon OG. Yeah, that Aegon led to conquering Westeros. I think yeah. Queen Visenya's dragon. Yeah. Uh, has seen um, this battle ha- battle hardened dragon that has seen so much and I was very curious to see what they would do with the designs okay this is something I really want to talk about yes a great segue to actually talk about what the show is yeah, like House, House of the, the Dragon, dragon. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about the dragons, dragons. Yeah. <laughs> so when it came to Game of Thrones I couldn't really tell between Rhaegal and Viserion half yeah, the time like, hey, these two lizards and one big dragon and, one, and like Drogon was the one that yeah. he, the studio actually gave money to yeah. <laughs> this is the one we need to like look make it look nice here each dragon is instantly recognizable is so recognizable like I can tell Cyrax from Cyrax who's really yes. dragon long face the horns yeah. tapering backwards golden and, and yeah, yeah the yellow first. golden and then the best looking dragon on the show is is Vegar in terms of actually I love the size of Vegar mm-hmm. I mean it really brings home how how gigantic and old and powerful she is I don't like the way she looks. She looks very T Rexy like. She looks like a kaiju. Yeah, she's, she's very much like a kaiju. Yeah, which again, last like, episode, yeah, the aesthetic really comes into play. She looks like, looks like a kaiju monster. Yeah. Uh, but the most unique dragon yeah. out of all of these is Karaxes. I love Karaxes. I would say, I mean, not just the way Karaxes looks, which obviously they it, it is. Karaxes is he's super different in terms of looks as well. He's long he's thin mm-hmm. he has some deformity in his back legs so he doesn't walk he walks weird he has a super long neck I mean in fact he's called the blood worm because mm-hmm. he's very wormy mm-hmm. but to me the, the single greatest addition which obviously you can't have in a book is the audio signature they've given Karaxis mm-hmm. which again in, in episode 10 there's, an, there's a scene where Damon talks to two of his king's guard mm-hmm. and he says uh, I know the line because I've seen that scene so many times I just love the entry of Karaxis in that scene Damon says so I'm going to present you with a choice mm-hmm. and then before you see Karaxis you, you hear, hear the trrr, whatever that sound and you're like 
in fact then i realized every scene where they have shown karaxis it has always been preceded by this sound hmm. and in your head they've sort of sown that okay hmm. when the sound comes you you are to expect karaxis to come on screen hmm. i just love how they made that audio signature for i mean these are little additions which really elevate the show for me yeah i think with with karaxis what uh, you you really you look like the first thing you look at karaxis and the words are flashed in my head in any word were the the words mad bastard i was going to say mean bastard mean but yeah, yeah. like yeah because he do underhanded things he it's very much a, a reflection of his master or yeah. like rather his dragon rider yeah because i think you look at demon and there's an undercurrent of fuckery about him yeah which is very prevalent with karaxis and with uh, with sarax there's that level of that sense of calm but slight bubbling danger yes and there's a, almost a royal bearing to sarax yeah with, with vegar you sometimes get she's like an old granny that needs done that, with shit yeah that is probably suffering from dementia yeah. um and i love melis as well i love the whole ring of thorns that melis has around, around her neck mm-hmm. again very very a distinctive looking huge i think melis is the second big, third biggest after vermithor vermithor is vermithor is for me was like that scene i i rewatched it so many bloody times yeah um because i was wondering where is he going and for uh for a second i thought he was going uh, they were introducing the cannibal because there is a dragon in in yes. game of thrones that survives all of this and basically i think just dies or rather of goes old age and he is so unrestrained so yeah no i think yeah he's probably the biggest dragon in yes. all of western and un, un uh, verified but probably the and he's supposed to have like lived into the days of like the game of thrones like oh, wow. he's supposed to have he goes around eating dragons which is why he's called the cannibal and he's hanging around somewhere around dragonstone nobody like bothers him because you know what that vermithor scene reminded me of i bought us that movie with sean connery dragon dragonheart dragonheart hmm. it reminded me of the dragon from dragonheart especially that scene where his face comes into view and their, their eyes look at each other hmm. and the way, the way they show vermithor's reflection in demon's eyes yes it's like it was almost saying demon is as much dragon as vermithor yes, yeah. so i think lot of great imagery in this lot scene. of great imagery very well shot and 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 vermithor like swaying his head to yeah. a valerian lullaby with a beautiful beautiful sight yeah so the the dragons play like this huge huge part of this obviously right because when the show is announced like, okay you can't make the, cannot make the show without the dragons the dragons are a very pivotal part too and the thing is here unlike game of thrones where you only have three dragons so you're not going to be confused per se i mean even within that between dragal and viserion as much as you i can't really differentiate between them yeah but it's fine i mean fuck them like <laughs> one one became some that guy's bitch the other one got killed by euron drogon essentially was the one that mattered but mm. in this case you need to be able to tell your dragons apart you need to be able to know whom to root for who's whatever's happening so you can't have dragons look alike yeah exactly and then i think there's there's a big part especially for aemond's story arc because aemond is hasn't like the dragon children are placed with the dragon egg at birth mm. which then so they can bond with them as, as children and then occasionally like and, and when the time comes they end up uh, becoming the dragon riders Aemon doesn't have that he like no dragon bonds with him and at the funeral of Lena Valerian he makes he goes on a suicide run yeah uh, and goes after Vegar and Vegar for whatever reason says cool and the oldest and the most powerful dragon in all of Westeros belongs to the 12 year old boy yeah which is kind of nuts right and that's what uh, what ultimately happens is the I think this is an addition from the show as well. Um Lena's kids are the most happiest about it and Emon yeah. uh, Emon when he gets back has this this on this high because he's kind of like, yeah fucking he's, just, he's done a buckbeak run with like this yeah. uh, weapon of mass destruction and buckbeak meets Godzilla Godzilla basically. And you can tell like what you like when you when they put Vegar up against other dragons like this is a huge motherfucker. He and and at this pivotal moment I think this is a big part of yeah. uh, of where things I really This is where the the point of no return happens. Schism between the two factions of kids is yeah. Is yeah, set so, in stone. And even the the mother mothers for this point because Yes. Uh, what happens is a fight breaks out and then uh, Lysander and um, slices 
Amond in the face and basically Amond loses an eye. Mm-hmm. And then the mothers are like horribly over it. I for an eye literally. Literally and then she um ultimately like she chases down she kind of pushes towards Renera with mm-hmm. with the cat's paw dagger once more. I mean of all things just uh and then of course it takes Viserys to come calm shit down and poor Viserys can't catch a break in the entire show like right from the start of the show till his death maybe the the only the dinner before his death is the only moment where he's like ha shit is okay because even there also like the moment he leaves after yeah, that dinner because shit goes back to yeah because even again keeps questioning the legitimacy of um Renera's children yeah. it's a joke that they that they don't like uh Egon is busy tripping on Jesaris is in a burly to to, to, to stand date, straight to stand straight or date women and um so I mean the, the the guy who plays Jesaris what is wrong with him why does he stoop forward like that I don't know maybe he looks weird no it's a choice i guess i have no idea like i was just reading random posts i think now he's also acknowledged on instagram he's like, i don't know why i stood like <laughs> bro in all of his his head is like bent forward he's stooping like what are you doing <laughs> So, uh, but the guy who ends up playing older Eamon again, I, uh, Evan, some, Evan Mitchell, Mitchell, Evan Mitchell, yeah, a really nice casting. I yes. am a fan of whatever he's doing. You're on edge. Yeah, he's, he's like Damon in that sense. You're like, what is he going to do next? Yeah, you'll end. He kind of is a very piece. One of the most pivotal parts of this of this time yes. going forward. but viserys after having basically turning into the phantom of the opera <laughs> with this gold mask what a great scene though yeah great scene when he walks into uh, <laughs> walks into the throne room announces renera as heir comes on the dinner table comes proceedings down proceeds to his bedchamber and dies yeah and then of course we've mentioned the the prophecy the prophecy and then of course the hunt for egon and why like coming back to why i said that this might be an important part is that like you are shown just how cruel egon is because he participates in uh, oh, yeah. the children's fighting pits some of his own bastards are you know, some of his own bastards are there as well like and mesaria points out that this is something that the the, um, the the king should ultimately abolish yeah and that may that may serve as misaria's um motivations for what happens next next so because there's there's a moment that happens very close to um the start of the next next season, season. and it it's something that's all that's always it yeah it, it's quite something yeah it's going to be a long wait yeah it is it's going to be a half year again yeah, 2024 so i think around by the time viser has died i i believe i texted you when i said so storms and season finale Mm. uh and not before egon is crowned king and like i think finally so this is a really nice thing that the show has done as well where egon is basically trying to feel loved because his father yeah. clearly doesn't love him his mother thinks he's an imbecile so he's just like um trying to cover up that that gaping hole where he wants to feel wanted and he ultimately ends up getting it mm. when he's crowned king and you can see him really like taking to it very caligula skin that sense i mean yeah. caligula's dad mom sisters everyone was killed by his grand uncle who was king tiberius mm-hmm. and he was brought up in a very imagine right your family is killed in front of you nobody loves you your constant fear of death it's not the same as egon but uh-huh. a very messed up childhood where you're starved of affection mm-hmm. and suddenly when after tiberius died in the roman empire caligula became king suddenly he, he and tiberius was very hated mm-hmm. so what happened was when caligula came on to the throne initial few months he was like anyone's improvement so we, they showered a lot of love on the guy and he was like oh wow like this is this what love feels like and like you know i can do nothing wrong i am the guy which is the same sort of sentiment then caligula ended up becoming we all know infamously uh, tyrannical but you see that sort of same energy that egon exudes uh, at the time of his crowning is like hey the people love me finally he feels that emotion which he hasn't and then the show does something which i'm not a fan of <laughs> where uh, rainis breaks through <laughs> the dragon pit i mean she does explain it quite well in the next episode i i bought that explanation i didn't want like i'd rather have personally and this is a personal preference i'd rather have her 
be on the run yeah yeah i mean ideally i would not have that interaction at all i would just have her escape yeah escape but given then. the situation she found herself in between the two choices of her not killing them and her killing them hmm. i can i have no problems with that scene yeah yeah, yeah. I have narratively she should not have been in that situation to begin, begin with. with right like and I, I completely I felt like that was just put in there to show oh Rainey is a badass yes it was a moment yeah it's just it's like it's one of those oh yeah look at look at Rainey's and who has the power to do something but she won't do it you know the source material yeah so and if she did it there there would be no story <laughs> yeah and that material is exclusively for people who have no idea about the source material exactly if you have even a vague idea of what's going to happen it's like what is this yeah exactly and then for me at that point I was like why are we doing this i'm not a big fan of it i would have much rather have her escape yeah. and then be cornered and then you have uh, which is what happens in the book yeah mary's drop in and then just like yeah. she escapes via mary's um like skyhook <laughs> but i think that would have it would have been too similar to to denerys in the in the fighting pits of mary yeah. is what is how i just felt it to myself so i was like okay so that's something that it's a choice i didn't quite appreciate but coming back to storms end so we storms end itself was everything i wanted it to be so storms end is this castle that's meant to be a middle finger to the gods right yeah. that's kind of why it was built it is called storms end it's mm-hmm. the castle where i mean the storm no storm can take down so. yeah and so it's like you shape like this middle finger yeah so and what happens is now the episode 9 is fixated entirely on the greens so there's the greens on the black side i feel like we've gone 50 plus minutes into an episode and not really specify the greens and the blacks the greens are the high towers and egon and uh, alison and her kids and the blacks the are, blacks are uh, uh, renera her, her faction yeah so <laughs> the episode 9 is all greens yeah. episode 10 is mostly blacks hmm. except and for storms and storms and and then uh, So what happens is Renera is told Renera is, is pregnant at the time with a sixth child, and we are subjected to another child, child birth, like horrible still birth in this still case. Still birth in this case, and her husband flips. So yeah. I, like at this point, and a the lot of dragon people, comes out in. Yeah, a lot of people are just like uh, were very, <laughs> and this confused the writers as well. were very attracted to David Targaryen yeah and this episode they were put off and i'm sure the writers were like where were you for the last, last nine episodes exactly like because David hasn't said much yeah um he's still the same and like you can tell and, and i remember texting you about this after we saw the episode about Matt Smith doing cold fucking fury so well mm. and you can like you can sense that yeah. that anger like he's like oh, i want war and his is not the anger of tears or shouting this is the anger of action yeah and he's just he's planning his war but there, and there are sequ- and there were there were a few cut sequences um that stills were released where he's on the beach on the beach yeah. and he's sitting in the water like he's and there was this personal mourning with right? yeah, because this is the second time it's happened to him as much as he's angry like this is the second time that he's lost a child due to a pregnancy and mm. that and that takes its toll especially given the fact that he probably harkens back to the time where he raises a toast for a king for a day mm. and that plays on his mind when it eventually does end up happening to him and with um with an error chooses to choose to the pregnancy by herself or loses her son daughter daughter, daughter sorry besenia besenia ends up dying during childbirth she's way the pregnant king, not any yeah, yeah just clarifying just clarifying <laughs> And apparently she was supposed to look all scaly and um, the book. I'm, I'm I'm glad some of the some of those fantastical elements were removed from the book because it's like look, what what. But I like the juxtaposition of her like screaming and then Cyrax also yes, in pain. Yes, that was a nice back and forth. Because the dragon riders are are emotionally bonded yes. to their dragons, and she moves past it. She's crowned. Um, king a queen at dragonstone so now you have two regents yeah and then you have another face off the throwback to episode 2 to, where yeah. where damon and otto face off and I, and renera comes down to calm comes there to calm at this down. point otto hatter is such a oily character you just want to like get go through the screen grab him by the collar and throw him off like ugh. yeah great and, job man yeah reese for this wonderful portrayal Um, like then there are quite a few shady characters like Larry Strong's decision to murder his entire family yeah psychopath yeah and become lord of harrenhal in in the process 
which is cursed i dream mean lara's talked about him thought would be a little more um, cued in with whatever happens to people who end up owning her at all but you know a bunch of snake characters that have been scattered around uh, the entire plot of yeah. this show but let's get to storm's end so what happens is now so with with civil war officially having broken out um, now people are trying to place their allies who's with them who's against them uh just said as in his infinite wisdom decides uh, some of the more important allies should be visited in person instead mm-hmm. of being contacted through ravens uh decides that hey let lucerus and me take our dragons and go fly out we'll we'll get there faster and dragons have an impact as in yeah. and and, and they and and they send lucerus to the closest like storms and is the closest to yeah. dragonstone it's the shortest trip and boris baratheon's father uh his sworn loyalty to the to the queen yeah and um so they think it'll be the least concerning of their troubles so they send lucerus on his dragon arax So Lucius this is arrives in Storm in Storm's end it's absolutely boring as it usually is, it is yeah. he lands uh, the the guards they aren't quite pleased to see him they look uh, no the guard that's something i noticed the guards when the, he lands with arax they have no reaction they, yeah yeah so what mm. and for the first few seconds i'm like why are they not reacting mm. and then you hear vega in the distance like this yeah, guy just wants that so yeah. this is and you and you see and that's a wonderful visual like yeah. as lucerus turns he sees uh arax in uh, he sees vega in all her glory in the back <laughs> who is as big as the castle, castle itself, itself. Yeah. Lovecraftian, <laughs> lovecraftian very lovecraftian very lovecraftian in he walks to the throne room to find boris baratheon and aemon targaryen by his side now this from i really like the scene but i and for i would say purely due to my fault it was ruined like boris baratheon is ruined for me not for any fault of his own either it's just that there is a telling of the dance of dragons on the game of thrones ah. featurette and this section of the story is narrated by mark addy who played robert baratheon yes and robert baratheon has the most king voice that anyone would uh, robert baratheon okay no. <laughs> sorry that anyone could possibly hope for yeah and as he narrates that entire section it's like this that there's a weight to it there's a weight to it and boris's voice is uh, and boris baratheon's voice is it's kind of squeaky a little bit yeah. as well uh, ultimately boris says i've been you've come here empty handed lucerus decides this is a lost cause we should leave and uh, just about to leave and then amon can't let it go uh, he has a gripe about his eye i mean i guess and if yeah. somebody took my eye i'd be pissed off with them about yeah. it too but this is the inconsistent part of it i don't know if this is just a regular thing because he keeps saying it's okay i i lost an eye again to dragon And does that stance soften over the years where he gets the uh, the That's eye thing? Clearly. Yeah, clearly, right? Um, because the eye thing really continues to bother him. Bother and 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 Baratheon steps and says, "Not under my roof. You're not get, getting into the shit here. Basically, take it outside." And they escort Lucerus back to his dragon. And again, great shot. He turns to the distance, and Vegard is not there. Yeah, and. as he's flying through the storm this is one of i this is above and beyond anything i could have hoped for visually yeah it is so well done like this storm arax they outdid themselves in the execution um arax flapping in the wind very reminiscent of prisoner of azkaban the quidditch sequence in the prisoner of azkaban mm-hmm. with with harry uh, dodging the dementors in in the sky seeing the grim yes. the grim and all like visual visual style very very similar i couldn't help think think of it twice this has happened in the season one we mentioned the buckbeak sequence yeah. from prisoner of azkaban and this too also had uh, the dementor sequence during the quidditch game um, all over it and obviously lucas is lucas is looking for vegar and there's this wonderful shot it's just from underneath from, alex yeah. and you can see vegar in the clouds above huge yeah huge And then Eamon starts to like fuck around with, um, with with Lucerus, until um, Lucerus makes a dart fight with Arax, and then he cuts in through this this narrow section where clearly Vega can't fly through. And this is the part that I wasn't particularly keen on, uh, and I 
told you about is when the dragons ultimately lose control. My stance on it has softened since because it makes sense. And also, it's a throwback to a line that Viserys says that mm. us controlling the dragons is merely an illusion. Yeah. And there's an old theory that the Doom of Valeria is actually caused by the dragons themselves. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these are huge, monstrous creatures, very intelligent, sentient beings. And to think that you have full-blown control over exactly. it. Exactly. Very arrogant an assumption. Assumption. So, Arax is clearly freaked out. Freaked out by its, his owner. In consensus, owner being freaked out as well. And I think it also plays off of... It's a two-way street. Arax is scared because Lucerus is scared. Mm, yeah. And Vegar is being aggressive because while Eamon may not want to physically harm uh, Lucerus, but... There is an anger which Vegar definitely feeds off of it. Vegar decides to act on it in a way that Eamon probably didn't intend. Didn't intend. That's where that uncontrollable aspect of a dragon kicks in. Yeah, because it's almost like it's a cornered animal situation, right? Yeah. So Yeah, I think Arax lashes out and Vegar is like, What? <laughs> yeah. I'll show you who's Yeah, and then Vegar also is just like, What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. And like don't fuck don't fuck with me. I'll bite you. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh and then it cuts to like this wonderful shot of uh, of Arax and Lucerys breaking through the storm into into clear sky. And I I would be lying to you if I haven't if I said I haven't watched a ton of reaction videos to this scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as Lucerys is looking around, in comes Vega and two bites kills both Dragon Rider and Dragon. Yeah. And Eamon is just staring, looking around what he's done. But Eamon is like that uh, scene of Job from Arrested Development. <laughs> I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> but I also think that that leaves what what they've done is they've leave, leave, let, left it open to interpretation because he might go back and say I did it inten- intentionally. I mean, either way, he has to live with it. No? Exactly, right. So I think it's more about whatever the truth might be. Again, goes back to another line that Viserys has. The truth doesn't matter. It's the perception of truth, truth that matters. matters so yeah. Whatever might have transpired, Eamon will have to live with the perceived uh, fallout of it for the rest of his life. So, Personally, I would have loved for it to cut to black there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The I would have uh, maybe gone a little step further where I would have like had... Um, the camera shot. follow just... No, I just have a shot of the seabed and you see like a leg fall down and float yeah. and come float up to the surface. I was going to say follow the remains of Arax mm-hmm. go down, but yeah, essentially follow Arax and... Yeah, rather, yeah, just like cut to the seabed and you have like these yeah. pieces, chunks of meat fall from the sky and float up to the surface and then cut to black. Yeah. But then they chose to go for this weird Stanley Kubrick-esque <laughs> finish, which I, I, mean, I don't particularly have a problem with it. I mean, it's still mm-hmm. great. It's... Not ideal. Not, yeah. not the way I would have seen I want to talk about, like, before we wrap up, I want to talk about Emma Darcy for a quick hot second. Mm. So, Emma Darcy is one of the first major non binary actors to have mm. made it um, into a huge time, huge property. So, I haven't seen them in, in anything. Same. So, to have finally seen them portray Renera the way, the way they do, I was blown away. In the first, that first birthing sequence, I was like, who is this person? This is yeah. insane. Like, where have you found them? And as much as everybody likes Millie Alcock as, as younger, younger Renera, I, the casting that they've done for the older Renera is, is perfection. And even in the end, when she's, when she's at this time holding it together, saying we will not engage, we will not mm-hmm. engage. Um, and to have her son... Um, I get the news of her, her son yeah. being killed. And she turns around and there's that... At this stage, it's no longer... It's just fury. And yeah. it's like she tries. Like she tries to push war as much as she possibly can. And honestly, at this point, again, this is a very loaded statement which will probably come back to bite me in the ass after the first few episodes of season two air. But at this stage, anything that she does is fair game. Yeah. It's justified. It's like... An eye for an eye is what yes is what ultimately ends up. <laughs> um, I, that's all I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say much. Yeah. But what it does, what the show really does, is it brings back Game of Thrones. It brings it back into the public public conscious, and people are really excited by it. A few mm-hmm. people are not. There have been some criticism about the time jumps because you can't really invest in these characters. But what you need to understand is that not a lot of these characters have backstories that are 
fleshed out in the source material. And I I was fine with the time jumps. I said, okay, are you doing a crown thing? And maybe there were times where I said, okay, maybe the time jumps have happened too quickly, especially between young Aemond and old Aemond. Another big gripe was the lighting in this show and I hope they really take pointers because the whole Vega sequence with, was, uh, yeah, with that was episode like generally notoriously dark a lot of the times I know that episode 8 yeah I didn't episode 7 no, sorry 7 yeah. episode 8 was when it really bothered me but episode 7 is kind of um, this thing but we haven't like we've completely like bypassed Lena Valerian and, and his death his so called death also yeah nice again a nice way to give a character an out mm. uh it kind of fucks so, with the lore a little bit because... It does. And also, I think that's a... That's going to be a thorn that persists between Rainies and Corliss and Rhaenyra. Hmm. At times I'm like, just tell them what's happened. At least they won't hold you responsible for Lena's death. But And I get why. Again, she's being a very nice, strong ally saying, hey, let him live his life. If that means I'll have to take the blame of being whispered as his murderer, so be it. No, but then I don't really know what, what happens to Sea Smoke. Because I don't think Sea Smoke can be claimed as long as he's alive. I don't know. Maybe Sea Smoke, Smoke is his dragon. So. Yeah, and Sea Smoke, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's a, so, They'll probably answer that question when they get there. Yeah, because it's... Or conveniently at the time, Sea Smoke has to be claimed by Adam. Okay, whatever. Hmm. It says claimed. Hmm. Uh, you know, maybe might. Yeah, yeah, who you, knows? You yeah. don't know, right? Like, what, whatever's happening in Pentos or Bravos, wherever he ends up. Wherever he is, we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like there's another 18 months, I think, or close to two years for the next season to come. And I think in this case, we shouldn't be expecting the sort of frequency that Game of Thrones had, which was a season a year. Because the the magnitude of CGI is a lot more. Oh, for sure. I, this I show think for the rest of the, whatever, three seasons they planned, if you thought there were a lot of dragons already... You're in. I mean, there's going to be a lot more CGI, a lot more dragon work, a lot more budgets to be. Uh, like expanded. the fact they introduced Vermithos so early, yeah, indicates that um, there's there's a lot of dragon work coming. So seasons are going to be far apart. It's. I think the onus in this in that sense is on the viewer to try and remember and try and stay current when the next season drops. I mean, it's easy enough to remember one season, but like imagine when season four is going to come out and you got to remember all that's happened in the last three seasons mm-hmm. when we do get there. I feel the delay with season two happened because... Also, yes, I think uh, season two was commissioned after the first episode or so of season one just mm-hmm. to see how people would take it. Mm-hmm. That probably may not happen as much with subsequent seasons. Yeah, I feel like now it's been greenlit... That HBO will be successful. Yeah. And, and didn't help that HBO and Discovery had that merger going on yes. at the time. So a lot of properties are up in limbo even at this point. So it remains to be seen. But I, for one, am very excited for what's to come. Yeah. A great, I, great first season. Uh, uh, cut down on the accidental aspects. I think that will yeah, now... Cut down on the tomfoolery. Exactly. And, uh, don't try to shoe on the can't spot dagger anymore. Yeah. And I think we're good. Yeah, I think we're good. And I'm excited. I, I'm, I'm really glad the, they left the season where they did. I think it's it's on the precipice of... It's like, you know, that roller coaster where... Things are about... The drop's about to happen. Yes. Yeah. So, very interesting uh, point that they've left it and a lot to look forward to whenever... In 2024 when hmm. season two comes out. Cool, that's us. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Then take care. So they opened their big mouths and out came talk.